Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's the 26th of July, 2023, and it's time for another dose of two washed white guys, one of which is incredibly stupid. Hi, everyone. It's time for Morning Combat. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos, right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my friend on that side of the screen. You know him as the big beige one, American Alpha. Many names. I call him Birthday Boy. Ah, Birthday Boy. Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? That's uh, birthday man, Luke. I'm uh, 45 years old. I'm a Leo, and I enjoy long walks on the beaches. Hey, Luke, is this the best week in combat sports history, or is it just me? It's shaping up to be. It's shaping up to be. We have so much to get to today. So if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up if you'd be so kind. Please hit subscribe if you haven't. Hey, it's free. Cost you nothing, and we really appreciate it. BC, we have a lot to get to today and not all the time in the world so time is of the essence so let's do this do this up front remind everyone showtime.com is the label that pays showtime.com you get a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can bounce you can go to morningcombat.store for any of the merch that you would like to see from us and of course you can always reach the show or at least the producers anyway at morningcombat at gmail.com i don't have think i have any mk merch here on me but bc does certainly there as well now let me tell you what we're going to do on today's show we're going to hit UFC 291 hard on Wednesday's show right here because obviously there's a lot of other things to get to. So we're also going to talk about what is the best argument for Errol Spence? What is the best argument for Bud Crawford winning? We have to react to Naoya in a way. Oh my God. And a whole lot more, including a weird situation involving Vicente Luque. So, BC. Time is of the essence. Do you have any birthday message for everyone? Because after that, we got to get moving. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the very, very kind greetings and offerings. I felt like it wasn't just my birthday, Luke. It was everyone's yesterday. And uh, <laughs> so I enjoyed that. Uh, had a great day. Enjoyed the monster in Japan. But uh, hey, man, whether whether you are more fired up about the BMF, Spence Crawford, Ryzen versus Bellator, what a time to be alive. What a time to be dialing into the best damn combat sports show. Period. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there we go. BC, we have to remind the folks very quickly. Yes. Yes. Tomorrow is a big day in MK history. A big day. And we need everyone who can from MK Nation to hopefully, please, try to make this a priority if you can. It would mean so much to BC and I. Tomorrow live on national television on CBS Sports Net, BC, LT, MK Takeover, a full two hours, two hours on everything Spence versus Crawford. Going to get you ready for the big boxing mega fight tomorrow live on CBS Sports Net. Check your local listing. If you got YouTube TV, whatever, watch us, record it. It would mean a lot yeah. to the show. It would mean a lot to CBS. And yeah, it's a we big thank deal. anyone who can make time. It's a big deal, guys. All right? So if you can help us out, we will continue to do the same with this incredibly free content that we're that we're setting out and giving you. But uh, come on, biggest fight in nearly a decade. Big opportunity for your boys from MK. 10 a.m. Eastern, CBS Sports Network, tomorrow, Thursday, July uh, 27th, something like that. But let's do it, Tui. 
Let's bang. Let's bang. All right. Very quickly, before we get to our topic number one, because topic number one is technically going to be Poirier versus Gaethje, just wanted to get a very quick, because I know yesterday on your birthday, you still did a little bit of work following the result from the Oya Inouye stopping Stephen Fulton Jr. Holy smokes. BC, we don't have to belabor the point, but I'll go to you first on this. Again, a very quick kind of recap. What happened? Why is it so significant? I mean, it was it was one way traffic. It was an absolute demolition. I can't even believe there's actually haters online in boxing Twitter who are like, well, yeah, but, you know, Fulton was never that great to begin with. Really? What you saw yesterday is exactly what I said in the post-fight reaction show. You saw immortality. You saw an all-time great at the peak of his powers taking another dramatic step up and forward by seeking out literally the baddest man available in a fourth weight division. And Luke... Blowing through him in a way that, in a way that, in a way did, in a way that uh, really should retire me from questioning Las Vegas's, you know, betting odds judgment. But even more importantly, Luke, we expected this to be a close fight. Some like me even picked Fulton as an upset pick, knowing he was the naturally bigger fighter, well-rounded, skilled, tough as nails. Luke Thomas, none of that mattered yesterday. What we saw was virtuoso. From the 30-year-old Inoue, what stood out to you the most watching that in real time yesterday morning? Dude, I mean, let's be honest. On What is it today? Wednesday. On Monday show, I was definitely one of these guys who was like, I think this might be closer. I, th- I, I, you know, I thought everyone was kind of sleeping a little bit on Stephen Fulton Jr. No, not, not really. Not really. That turned out to be wildly wrong. Um, dude, Inoue, in a way, is a marvel. I mean... L- there's so many things. Number one, did the power carry? 1,000% the power carried. How about that body, uh, that stabbing jab to the body he had, which ultimately yeah. helped him set up the right hand. He was going to the body. I think his first punch to Fulton was a stabbing jab to the body, and ultimately one of his last ones was the same thing. His speed, his ring IQ, his how he guides opponents into traps, how he was able to keep himself safe. There were some times, round five, round, parts of round seven, that Fulton, you know, did better than others, but he, in my mind, lost every round up until getting stopped, and Naoya, in a way, is efficient, he's smart, he's powerful, he's thoughtful, he's dangerous, he's a devastating finisher. Dude, he is, if he's not your pound-for-pound number one, I understand we got Spence Crawford, and they got a legitimate claim to it as well, Holy smokes, dude. He is one of the most must-watch boxers in the entire sport. I really don't know how anyone could disagree with that. It's like, how do you upstage Spence Crawford, who are fighting for, you know, their own version of immortality? They are two all-time greats. And rightfully so, we've been billing that as a a fight for for pound-for-pound number one. How do you upstage that? You essentially don't lose a round walk through and knock out the purportedly bigger man and the best fighter in the division above you, who also, by the way, happened to be right on that pound-for-pound bubble himself and on one of the biggest red-hot streaks in the entire game. Yet, outside of what you mentioned, a couple shots here and there from Fulton, nothing that Stephen Fulton Jr. normally does great was established Tuesday morning. None of it. And Luke, one thing we overlook when guys make dramatic rises in weight and what Inoue is starting to show us is is really it's starting to look a little Pacquiao-ish, which you know what I mean? Like, you know, not eight division champion yet, but it's starting to look a little Pacquiao-ish. And oh, by the way, 
He's a more complete fighter than Pacquiao. But the thing that we forget sometimes is that as long as when you rise in weight, you can carry your punch recuperativeness and your chin along with your power, your speed, your dynamicism, if that's the right word, also raises with you as you move up in weight. Because Luke, you know, he won a title before four divisions lower, but the speed advantage he ultimately had over Fulton, who's known for quick feet and quick hands, was mind-blowing. He looked like the bigger fighter in Inoue, thicker, wider. He somehow looked like he even had longer arms, even though he entered with a reach disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I, I I compared this to Mayweather-Corrales as sort of the last great fight that we thought was kind of 50-50 and just was a, a dismantling. I did hear a lot of people say, well, what about Bernard Hopkins versus Tito Trinidad 2001? Also a good comparison. Another great on fight, fight on paper that we weren't sure which way it was going to go. And ultimately, one all-time great walked through another and did it decisively. It's rare that you can see that at the highest level. You now have to reconstruct the ceiling of Niowa in a way in terms of how high he can raise, how big could his greatness reach. And Luke, I don't know where it ends. How often are you able to say that? I literally don't know how great this guy could end up being when it's all said. I really don't. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to move along to the UFC side because I know the fans are fiending for it. So I just want to say, you're right. He had a reach disadvantage. You would have never known it on Tuesday night You would have, or Tuesday morning for us. You would have never known it. Um, his, I got to mention his power carried. You're right about the legs. Like Fulton's legs looked much thinner than Inouye's legs, even though he was the one coming up in weight. I thought that was kind of surprising and, and interesting. And BC, I'm going to say one last thing as we transition over to UFC which is that between, I should say, among Spence, Crawford, and Inouye, here's something that every MMA fan or really any combat sports fan should pay attention to. Watch how often they reset their position in sometimes very subtle but important ways such that they're always at the right distance that they need to be and they always have their balance under them. These are never guys that throw punches and have to catch themselves. Almost, you know, I mean, Spence a little bit in the Porter fight, obviously, but I'm saying in general what the tape shows is The really good guys, the really crafty ones, they always have very good balance. They're always able to make it work. It was a master class yesterday. I take my hat off to him. Oya Inouye, profoundly impressive. What a boxer. No doubt about it. All right. With that in mind, BC, let's jump in. Let's get to some UFC stuff because for all the boxing talk, and there's a lot of it, understandably, hey, the UFC card this weekend is tremendous. So we start... With Dustin Poirier taking on Justin Gaethje. Small note, by the way, Chael Sonnen's going to return to the broadcast team for the first time in, I think, 18 months, something like that, since UFC 272. His court case has been resolved. ESPN didn't let him go. Now they're going to bring him back. Um, good for Chael, right? He went through the process. He came out the other side. Here he is returning. So you'll see uh, the uh, the Westland gangster up there on and by, the And dais. by the other side, you mean he made it through the <laughs> the back end of the Luxor and <laughs> learned his lesson on yeah. staying on low-rent shit uh, Las Vegas Strip hotels. Thank you. Yes, yes. And by the way, just a place where every place smells like it's the smoking section uh, at the Luxor. <laughs> but okay. Excuse Justin me, sir. Po- where's the smoking section here? You know, yeah. Homie Village, see, you're standing on it, Sarge. Yes, let's, all right. Let's start with this question. I'll pull up the odds here in a second, but let's start with this question. How different will Poirier Gaethje 2 be from Poirier Gaethje 1? It's it's a great question. It's a great question. And you and I have both gone on record in saying one of the big reasons why we're so excited about this fight in this incredible all-action lightweight era is because these two badasses, Justin and Dustin, who are so alike, by the way, in terms of their statistics, age, records, all of that stuff, in, in a lot of ways, the comparisons are interesting. 
Uh, they may have put on the best action fight of this grouping that we've seen, but that was five years ago. It was before the adjustment of Justin Gaethje, the well, well publicized one under coach Trevor Whitman of basically saying, okay, I'm going to stop trying to just be the most exciting fighter of all time. MMA's answer to Arturo Gatti and I'm going to try to win. I'm going to try to go to the championship level. Now, he did win an interim strap, which Poirier also did in his career. Another comparison, but couldn't quite get over that hump in two full title challenges. But Luke Thomas, even with the evolution of Gaethje, even with what Poirier has shown us in the past five years as well, which is really steady growth. No, he couldn't beat Habib. No, he came up empty against Oliveira, but just steady growth, improvement. And anytime you think, well, has age in the wars caught up with him, Poirier continues to bust through that wall. As much as everything has changed, Luke, things are still the same in a lot of ways. The guarantee for action, the fact that they're going to go toe-to-toe, and in my opinion, the reason why Poirier won the first one, I think is still in play entering the second one. He is the more finely tuned striker with the better technique, with more patience and poise. In the first fight, that ended up being enough to break down and finish Gaethje despite walking through some hell to get there. What Eddie Alvarez and what Dustin Poirier did against that still prime unbeaten Gaethje is just mind-blowing how they walked into hell and walked through him. I still think that equation is the same, Luke, entering this rematch, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on that. That, yeah, they changed a lot, but they're still the same underneath, and I still favor Poirier as the man with the better tools and delivery system, but can he go through another war of this level that's expected that will be on top of all of the ones he's been through since their first fight five years ago? Those are some of those biggest questions I have facing this that can only be answered in Salt Lake City at elevation come Saturday night. Can I tell you one of my concerns for this fight? And it's a weird well, it's not a weird concern, but let me just let me just articulate it for you if I may. So both guys are 34, which is, in my judgment, actually the good news, because you're getting them as fully mature fighters uh, still on the better side of 35. But BC, I gotta tell you, you watched that first fight, and uh, by the way, I'd forgotten, for example, that Gaethje had been deducted a, a point for eye pokes. I had totally forgotten about that. Um, you know, and, and it, it may have impacted Poirier to some extent. I forgot how much just abuse Poirier had taken. By the way, Poirier, he doesn't get credited with it by fight metric, but if you because they have different rules for takedowns. But if you watch it, he does pick up Gaethje and sit him to his back, and then Gaethje has to figure out how to stand. So, like, there was a little bit of wrestling in that sense from Dustin Poirier. But here's what I want to tell you, like... I can absolutely see a case where it's a little bit more cerebral, but I just feel like eventually it just won't be like there's just, they're both capable of so much destruction that while their defense has in both cases improved, it's really not the centerpiece of their game. Their offense is still very much the centerpiece of their game. And at 34, I honestly wonder, and I don't know, because the resistance that they have, given all the damage, makes this a bit of a difficult equation. But let's say this one goes the distance. Dude, this might be the last time either guy is actually able to have one of these kinds of fights. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can only leave a piece of yourself so many times before you know Humpty Dumpty can't get put back together again. And you know I don't wish that on anybody, but this is the reality of the fight game. These two guys are heavy on their capacity for destruction, whether it's leg kicking, whether it's that southpaw boxing from Dustin Poirier, you name it. Like They're so good at just causing havoc. I honestly am at least looking at a world where... They come out of this and you get one winner or whatever. But like the third fight, 
I don't think the third fight would look as good as the second or the first no, one. If that I don't makes think sense. we're gonna. I hope we don't need a third fight then, unless the second one is so great and Gaethje wins and we need it. But I don't even want that for them because it's so much carnage. But it's interesting what you said. If they end up agreeing and you think they will to to put on a war, even with the evolutions in their game. The UFC resurrected the BMF title, one of the greatest gimmicks, really, one of the greatest gimmicks ever created in combat sports, in my opinion, that it needs to only be brought back with the right people. These are the right people at the right time. Both of these two would have to have some kind of balls, in my opinion, to then suddenly go out and fight a cerebral fight. No, it's the main event. It's a championship fight. Masvidal's going to be there to put the belt around the winner. They are going to inevitably brawl. But Luke, do you think the same equation is going to apply here even with five years of additional mileage and evolution, that it basically comes down to Poirier has to stop Gaethje before Gaethje foundationally breaks him, meaning the constant leg kicks in hard calf strikes, hard thigh strikes, which were a big part of Gaethje's offense. You can light Gaethje up early and in the middle of the fight. He ultimately squares up and goes caveman on you. But can you finish him before he breaks you down. Even the great Habib was faced with that equation, Luke, when he may or may not have been one calf strike away from peril. What did the great Habib do? Was like, F this, we're taking this to the ground and we're finishing it. Do you think if you're Poirier, you still have to look at it as, I've got to get him before he gets me because he's more likely to be there at the end if you don't and be fresh and still be throwing bombs. Boy, that is such a great question, BC. And I got to tell you, here's where my head is at in reacting to it as you ask it. I haven't thought about this before. If you notice something in both the Eddie Alvarez versus Justin Gaethje and then Poirier versus Gaethje fights, there is a commonality, which is I think in the uh, both fights, the stoppage happens either real late at the third or real early in the fourth, but you know, pretty close in either direction to the 15-minute mark, meaning he had this capacity to last for a long time up front but then it faded down the stretch. Well, what happened in the Fazib fight? It was the exact opposite. He got beat up on early and then rallied. Now, Fazib is very battle-tested, but as it relates to MMA, I would say Poirier probably a little bit more so. Maybe not overall as a combat athlete. I'm not trying to compare them as strikers. I'm simply saying like the trenches that a guy like Poirier has been in, if you haven't t- taken a gander at, at his resume, please do so. So this is, to me, what makes this one so interesting. It's like... I don't think that they have completely different games, but I wonder what the dynamics of this will be, the ebbs and the flows, when it will peak, when it won't. Again, they also have taken a... I mean, folks forget this too, BC. Gaethje's third fight in the UFC was Poirier. His third. You know what I mean? Like, this was a while ago. Uh, He has dramatically uh, improved since then, both his offense and then to an extent as well, his defense. So I'm really curious to see what... You know what it looks like past the 15 minute mark if it gets there will it even get there what will what will the high points and low points of this fight be relative to some other ones um that the, if he if he had gotten run over by Fazeev and we had somehow still found ourselves in this place i'd feel a a lot more confident about poirier's chances and b i would say right he's got a little bit to last up front and then you can kind of push past him but that Fazeev fight, man, that changed a lot. For a guy at 34 to pull that out of his, a rabbit yeah. out of his hat in that way, remarkable turnaround against a hard-nosed striker. Impressive, to say the least.
Luke, are you still there? I, st- I am. I stopped hearing your voice. I don't uh, know if you can hear mine. I am here. It is the Zoom. Uh, the Zoom is the I issue, I think. My face has frozen on the screen. Can you hear me? I'm sure no. what you're saying is great. See, Zoom I'm is sure. a problem. Probably Zoom is fantastic. a problem. All right, there we go. Hi, BC. Yeah, all right. Hey, hey, Luke, nothing a little technical difficulties couldn't fix, all right? We are fine. It wouldn't be yes. MK if our faces weren't frozen on the screen looking like we were having, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. Go a ahead. jaundiced attack right there. Uh, yes, Luke, yes. is there is there any more at stake in this fight, in your opinion, ab- above the rivalry of themselves, the ceremonious nature of the BMF? What does this fight really mean to you? I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I think I'll have an answer when we get the result. You know, I saw a uh, tweet from a, uh, a colleague of mine from SiriusXM. I think he also works as a producer on the weigh-in show for UFC, RJ Clifford. And he had said he actually likes the belt, but not because the belt makes the men, but because the men make the belt, right? That what they can do here ultimately could confer status upon it that it currently doesn't have. Now you're asking more about the bout versus just the belt, but the two are related, obviously. I don't really know the answer. I don't know the answer. I'm curious to see, like, I mean, I'll say this, dude, if Gaethje goes in there and wins, he gets a redemption over just one of the best UFC lightweights ever, right? Might even find his way to a title shot. That's not completely out of the question. Uh, If Poirier wins, dude, I mean, if you go and you beat Eddie Alvarez and you stop him, if you stop Michael Chandler and then you stop, let's say, Justin Gaethje twice, and you stopped, I mean, technically, Conor McGregor twice, (laughs) does it even matter if you were, you know, not better than Charles Oliveira or if you were not better than Islam Makachev or Habib Nurmagomedov? Like, I mean, I realize he hasn't fought Islam, but in the case of Habib, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it would solidify that he wasn't the best, but like, what would it tell you about, I hate to put it in these terms, but they're helpful about that dog in him, right? <laughs> about that dog in him, dude. Like th- that would be honestly extremely, extremely impressive. And one of those things where, uh, you know, like the kind of, the kind of, let me ask you, BC, does Dustin Poirier get the reverence for being a kind of Carlos Condit natural born killer fighter that he fully deserves? Yes and no. The no part, I mean, I don't know. I somewhat say the slightly no because he's also simultaneously been this inspirational, courageous fighter who keeps pushing through, keeps getting better rebounds from big losses and just keeps pedaling along. Like if he doesn't end up winning the full championship and and a reminder, he did have two opportunities and came up empty despite the interim title. You know, he really will be one of those greatest fighters to never win the full championship. But at the same time, Luke, he finished all those guys you mentioned. He has an insane amount of not only big-time wars, but big-time action wars in which he has endured and got his hand raised. Um, I think it's all kind of coming together. I mean, it may have taken the Connor second and third fights to truly give him that commercial crossover level of, of, of extra appeal and recognition and launching his barbecue sauce or you know the the hot line hot sauce line while simultaneously you know working on his foundation and really pushing that out there i think it has come full circle to the idea that he's a made man in the ufc he's a pay-per-view headliner it almost doesn't matter if he ends up winning the full championship and the days are ticking away because 
the resume's so good, but the love and appreciation for who he is as an endurer, as a warrior, as I, I mean, I call him a, you know, an American hero in terms of an MMA sense. It, he is like Randy Couture before him. He is that dude. So in that regard, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, but I don't think it's like the first line of of what people think about him though it's sort of all up there together that's combined to make him into the one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen and i love this fight so much i do wonder though like is there a path to the title from this i know charles Oliveira is going to fight islam i know there are new contenders rising up in this division i know just as well we could talk about the idea of the winner of this fight facing chandler again or connor or the winner of connor chandler if that ever happened or whatever but Luke, do you like wh- who has a better shot at literally cat- catapulting themselves here from a win directly into the winner of Charles Oliveira versus Islam? Well, I mean, it's tough to say, right? Because if Charles wins, you know, Charles already has that stoppage win over Dustin. And I mean, if Charles wins, it's hard to know what direction they might go. They might give a third fight between him and Islam, or they might give Volk the fight against Charles. So Charles makes it. Um, a more difficult equation for any of the guys here. But I would say if Islam wins, and yes, Volk is probably still going to get priority, but Volk versus, um, sorry, excuse me, I apologize. Islam versus either of those guys in the BMF belt would be a fresh matchup or a fight against Volk. I mean, I'll tell you what, dude, Volk versus Dustin Poirier doesn't sound like the worst fight I've ever heard, right? Volk versus Justin Gaethje, sure. Sign me up. All, All right, that right. Let, sounds me, let me pause great. you there. Let me pause you there on that thought, because I don't hate that thought either. Will the BMF title carry? Will this be only a every four mm. years, like when the when the stars align and we have two elite fighters who aren't currently in line for a title? But yeah, we can. And look, I've I'm, I've never been against non-title pay-per-view main events when the when the matchup is great. Think Rashad versus Rampage, right? Like like I'm all for that. You didn't even need the BMF, but doing it does make it a little bit more special. Will the the title carry? Should it carry? And should a guy like Volkanovski be allowed to fight for it? I mean, I, I feel like, yes, Luke, if you're going to go forward with the BMF belt, then do it. You've given it a cool identity. It works. It's got a little pro wrestling smell to it, but it freaking works. Keep it going, right? I don't even care if it's Volk who fights for it. Keep it going. Yes, I, I'd be okay with it, although it's not really the folk. I mean, again, if the men end up making the belt and it really is like this thing where everyone kind of embraces it, then I will look at it in a way where, you know, it, it could carry some significance or if it ends up in circulation more readily. We just kind of have to see what's going to happen with that. Now, let me ask you, BC, two things that were important for, oh, I should say one thing that were important for each guy is two things total. One, will you, or I should say, do you believe that Dustin Poirier is going to have a different answer for the leg kicks of Justin Gaethje? Great and question. what response is Justin Gaethje going to have for the big left hand of Dustin Poirier? Well, that's what's interesting, because if Justin Gaethje and his team are looking back at the first fight, and they, they did on the UFC Countdown show, both teams rewatched the first fight and sort of gave honest, in-the-moment reactions, obviously that was pre-craft adjustment for Gaethje to try to siphon down a little bit of the recklessness to be more you know, intentional and, and, and essentially become an ex, you know, a calculated executioner. So that was a little bit more of being the ultimate highlight of squaring up and just going after it. But they do have to look back at that and realize that Poirier is a better boxer. He's more technical. He's, he's better defense. He's all of that. His distribution system is just better. This could be a repeat of the first one. So, Luke, I wonder how much 
can't, I know you're asking me a question and I'm pulling a Jesus here and trying to answer it with a question, but, and that's probably the only time I'll get that comparison, Luke, to that guy. But the point <laughs> is this, will he, should he make defensive adjustments that could keep him in this fight or will that get him off of what he does great, which is go in there, bang heads and go to war? Because even at a, an action level, Poirier has a great ability as the rare elite action fighter who can retain certain, I mean, he does get hit, Luke, he gets into wars, right? But he's a little bit more responsible than, than the caveman version of Gaethje by far. Can or should Gaethje make key defensive adjustments? There's not a three round fight here. It is the potential here for, for a full five. To, to push this late. I mean, I mean, what, what, I think it comes down to who do, we know who you were the first Poirier fight if you're Gaethje. We know who you became with the adjustment and had two cracks at the title. Who should you be now in this matchup? That's a, that, I need to answer that before I can answer how is he specifically going to counter this and, you know, and what, how, how's Poirier going to answer the leg strikes? I need to see first and foremost because Justin, in beating Fazeev, Luke, he didn't just put his head down and run into him. I mean, there was there was some adjustment that you said, calculation, figuring out what's my best avenue here. Can Justin Gaethje be a more thinking man's version of himself and still welcome the hell and, and swim through it and come out on top? Yes, I think he can, assuming his punch resistance hasn't been ultimately compromised by all the wars he's been in. I guess we'll have to see. If I may answer the question, I, you know, my best sense of things is, you know, part of what Gaethje's game plan was originally, and there was obviously ebbs and flows and it was ugly, but it was walking Poirier down. I wonder how much he'll do that. I wonder how much more he wants to use angles and movement and circles rather than just, you know, on top of you kind of pressure. I think that will be something to note. Hopefully Dustin, you know, has a better answer for the leg kicks such that they happen. But if he's moving, depending on how, like they kind of timed his movement in the first fight. I wonder if they're going to be able to do that in the second one. But I would say the other part, too, is I feel like if you're Dustin Poirier, putting Gaethje on the back foot actually is going to be pretty important. So I'd be really curious to see who ends up leading the dance here in terms of real estate and then ultimately what they're able to do with that in the end. I think the, whoever gives the other guy space is going to be in, in for some problems here is the, sort of the short answer to that. That's we'll, fair. You know, no one. No, we're not shooting for takedowns, right? And I say that because Oliveira yeah. did utilize wrestling in that second round to neutralize Poirier. Gaethje never utilizes his wrestling, Luke. He's not. That's not the beginning of that, right? Yeah, basically never. Well, he uses his defensive wrestling, so he does use that. You mean he doesn't use his offensive wrestling? Yeah, I wonder, dude. I really wonder about that because Poirier will play guard. You know, that's the funny thing. If you're Justin Gaethje, if you have, well, I mean, you know, do you really want to wrestle or do you really want to go against a black belt on the ground like that? Maybe you don't, but at the same point, He's not likely to resist as nimbly as others. He actually surrenders the takedown, or at least you know will fight um, a little bit more off of his guard. Or you know he's he's just not going to wrestle to his feet. I should say perhaps as quickly. And so for that reason, if you're Gaethje, it's something to think about letting him up and then just tagging him on the way up along the fence line. I think that actually might be kind of interesting as well. Um, so we'll have to see, BC. Let me tell you about the odds here very quickly. I think these odds are pretty fair. Our friends at Caesars have Dustin Poirier minus 150 favorite with Justin Gaethje plus 125. Gotta say, that sounds about yeah. right, if you ask me. Let me address that. Because even though Poirier won that first fight by having better technique, but also having a, a you know enough dog in him to stand in there and take that, and, and he handled his business, and with the changes to their games, I wonder if you agree with this statement, Luke. They're both 34, but they have insane mileage on them, to be fair. But they both are entering with their stocks fairly high coming off of recent performances. When it goes, though, Luke, it goes. Meaning you get tagged early with a big shot and you just don't recover. 
who's more likely in your eyes for it to go in this fight? Even though Poirier has a stoppage victory in the first fight, even though I believe he's the better fighter overall, and even though I agree he should be the favorite coming in, I'm more nervous for him that when that knock on the door comes, it could happen in this fight before I expect that to happen to Justin. Does that make any sense to you? It does. It's hard. It's so difficult to say because, like, for example, Poirier has been stopped, like, in the first round by Michael Johnson, who is a hard, fast puncher. But, like, Gaethje doesn't have a loss like that, you know, in the similar kind of way uh, that I'm trying to think about. I mean, if I think about his four losses, I mean, here we go. Charles Oliveira, he got submitted. He got dropped and submitted, but that's a little bit different, obviously, because Charles can marry the two, although he did get knocked down with a punch. Nurmagomedov choked him out, obviously, uh, and then Dustin Poirier you know, accumulatively beat him, and then Eddie Alvarez yeah. accumulatively beat him. Like, no one ever just kind of, like, cracked him and then called it a day. So, Poirier has that. At the same time, though, BC, I feel like Poirier's ability to, like, roll or absorb or catch is just way better than Justin. Justin's a little bit more likely to, he'll catch a little bit too, but he's a little bit more likely to eat. And uh, for that reason, Poirier might be able to kind of like, you know, Gumby his way through the round a little bit more nimbly at times, unless I'm just underselling Gaethje's positioning, which has gotten much better, certainly under Trevor Whitman. Dude, this is a close fight. This is a close, tough-ass fight. I mean, it really is. No, it absolutely is. Do you look? Sometimes they say, Luke, teams that press hate to be pressed. But in boxing, we say, you know, great potty punchers hate hate it when you go to the body against them. That's their weapon. Is there a part of Poirier that comes out aggressively with the leg strikes? Because if you look at the things that either didn't go right for him or could have went disastrously wrong, I believe it was those accumulation of the leg strikes. There was a moment there in rounds th- round three or four where Gaethje did wobble and hurt Poirier in the first fight. And you're like, oh, this is on. This is on, right? Do you come out and go ham on the legs if you're Poirier to just strike back against him and basically say, I'm going to match you every time you do this? I think if you see leg kick, I think the leg kick defense is just going to be much more a part of what Poirier is doing. Um, obviously, the leg kicking strength clearly resides with Justin Gaethje. I do wonder if you might see him utilize it more to like cut angles, like an outside leg kick, and then cut an angle, and now the other guy has to follow, right? So that way you can you can make Justin Gaethje move, you can be off the line, right? Those kinds of things, and you can reset rather than just kind of being there eating it, and then trying to throw back. Now, that is ultimately what got him the win in the fourth round, right? He ate the leg kick and then, bang, hit him with the shot. Fair enough. But, you know, the amount of punishment he had to endure was significant. So I do think you'll see it. I just don't think you'll see it in a really pronounced way. Well, it that wasn't was really not pronounced me as real. for Poirier against Conor in the second fight in particular. It was as if Conor McGregor wasn't told <laughs> that you can use calf strikes in a UFC fight. Yes, true, it was true, true. But that's Connor. I mean, Justin's a little bit different, you know, maybe, certainly All maybe. Right, look, look, do you want to address Mikey Mormiles' uh, pro wrestling uh, uh, pitch here of, is there a scenario that Poirier loses and then, but, but sorry, Gaethje knocks out Poirier in this rematch to gain revenge, and then Jorge's putting the belt around his waist, Dustin and Jorge are longtime friends and teammates. This doesn't summon Jorge out of retirement to, to to fight for the BMF belt. And would you sign up for that under this pro wrestling scenario? 
Did someone hit Mikey in the head with a hammer? I don't know what happened this morning. Uh, I think no. it was a tire iron, Luke. But uh, <laughs> but uh, don't you don't don't you dare besmirch the name of my great producer, please. No, he's wonderful, but I don't know about that question. No, I don't think so. I guess he's got his sights set on Ben Askren again. I don't really know. I'm not. Hey, Ben that. Askren's in shape for Jorge, Luke. All right, so you better you he better might wise be. he up. Might be. Okay. He was a good athlete, no doubt about it. Um, okay, BC, but that's the basic gist of this one. Really curious to see how the positioning changes, the weapons change. And, dude, this might be – it could. I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm not declaring it. But when you're 34, you've had all the miles that both guys have had, and then you're headed for another – it's going to be a car crash. It's going to be yeah. a car crash. You get into another car. I don't know how many more car crashes – these well, two can have after a night you like know, that. I, uh, people remember, I got a lot of shitty takes ahead of the Michael Chandler fight for Poirier. I was like, look, th- the knock is going to come on the door. You know what I mean? Michael Chandler might be a little fresher in terms of that regard, even though he's got mileage too. And I, and I was completely wrong, Luke. Poirier handled his business in such a such a gnarly way in that fight to serve, to advance to this point. Um, I guess this is not the first. I shouldn't start doubting him now, right? I mean, you know, this is, these are two men that are going to go in there and bang. Um, will it go the distance in your eyes, though? No, I don't think so. Oh, God, if it goes the distance, then for sure that's the end. Yeah, they'll never you know walk I mean? again, Luke, and <laughs> yeah. not fight again. Yeah, if, they, if it goes the distance, oh, God help them both. God, and God help all of us, too. I mean, it'll be a great fight, but they are not going to be the same. All right. Do you, do you want to weigh in for, for final weigh in here? Uh, the, the altitude, will that make this fight better or worse? The altitude. In, in theory, it should make it worse, but I feel like both of these guys, I mean, Gaethje trains at altitude, so that shouldn't be an issue at all. And yeah, Poirier is mostly at sea level, but I, he's such a pro that like I just don't feel like he's going to be under. Dude, when was the last time you saw Poirier under-trained for a fight? I mean, it just, right. just not, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So Yeah, and uh, I, no, only say, I, I only say the potential for better if that leads them into a mindset of, I'm not going into rounds four or five at elevation. Let's 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 settle this early. That's where I'm suggesting in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> are you still are you still there, Luke? Luke Luke Thomas. Yes, there you go. Can you hear me now? Oh, I hear you now, Luke. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, let's move along if we can, BC. We have belabored. Why the main don't we just event. do this f- the show over cell phone, Luke? Why don't we just do that? Then we'll I know. Like I mean, we got that McDonald's Wi-Fi player. All right, topic number two. Let's go to the co-main event: Jan Blahovich now taking on Alex Pereira, BC. This will be the debut, certainly in UFC, for Alex Pereira at 205 pounds. So I'll ask this most important storyline for this fight is well, Luke, I don't want to be, you know, do the whole thing all over again. Cause you did, you asked me my sort of underrated storyline of the card on Monday show. And I brought up sort of the title implications in this fight and the question mark of what they are. Luke, is this for, this is to be fair. This is not for the interim title, the vacant title or been declared as a guaranteed number one contenders fight. Correct. Not to my knowledge, not to my knowledge. But- but we expect this has major title implications in this empty division. Major, right? Yes, I think that would be a fair assumption. Yes. I it's weird. It would wouldn't that have been modern UFC to rush out a title on this? I what do you make of what do you seriously, home sweet home, Luke, what do you make of the decision to not put any implications on home versus Bueno Silva and now this one, when in both scenarios you have a vacant title on top and you have you know, two highly ranked competitors going against each other. They either felt like they're, you know, the UFC machine is constantly churning and it was just too late in the day for them to just switch it up like that. Or they've got, they've got another plan for the title. They they must have some kind of roadmap 
in the war room we've seen famously they must have some kind of uh map for that for how they want that to look and how they want that to go and it it doesn't necessarily not include this but it sounds like it includes this and then perhaps some other pieces falling into place so it's hard to dude it's really hard to say remember there was an advertisement that came out that had Poirier Gaethje it was like a Facebook ad or something from the UFC and it had Poirier Gaethje for the BMF belt and then it had Blahovich versus Pereira as the like for a title belt, it was like two title fights, but it ended up in just uh, maybe it was just a weird ad that got released. Yeah, that wasn't supposed to. Okay, well that that confused me. So look, huge title implications is a monster storyline. As is Padeda moving up in weight. Now he'd won titles in two divisions at Glory before, including light heavyweight. So I'm not afraid. In fact, Luke, here's my biggest storyline question to you: Will Padeda, who is not making the extreme, I mean he was a insanely big middleweight. He is not making the extreme weight cut anymore. In fact, on Embedded uh, or, or Countdown, whichever one it was, they showed him in Glover Teixeira's back porch, you know, eating off the grill and he's just saying, look like I can eat whatever I want ahead of this camp. How much more, not just dangerous will that make Padeda at 205 being not physically compromised, but how much more will that show an evolution of his skills? Does that play into that at all? When you say evolution, like what evolution in terms of what part of the game? I don't know. I mean, like sometimes people just bloom at the new weight class. Think Kiesta when he moved up right away. It's sort of like you just explode through the screen of like, wow, oh, I should have been. I, see, I, see, I, see. I should have been doing this all along. Suddenly, I have the cardio to try new things. Suddenly, I can. Right. You know, I'm not you expecting can put some him gas to come in up. the car and it can do a whole lot more all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Are we um, in for a potential like? violent rude awakening that the 205 MMA version of Padeda is a freaking badass on the level of the guy that just won and lost the middleweight championship. It will remains to be seen. I mean, I'll say this, right? Like obviously defending takedown is defending a takedown. I should say is a function of skill, but it helps if you've got 30 extra pounds to lean into whatever skill you're applying, right? If you're using a cross face, if you're using a you know, whatever, what a wizard, whatever, whatever you're using, if you're able to really maneuver someone with it, it makes it that much better. It makes it that much stronger. And he looked, and you see that, I think you played it on Monday where them two were like trying to drown each other in the yeah. river. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, two brothers, let's play the drown each other game. And every brother, a pair of brothers has done it. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? Like he looked huge in that one. And so even if your technique isn't necessarily as sharp to the point we're trying to have here, it can be so much more forceful. Maybe, maybe. Here's the thing. If your team, I mean, this really comes down to this, dude. If your team Blahovich, what is your game plan, right? Because that's really what this comes down to. Pareto, I'm not going to say has like only one way to win, but probably has one path that's going to be much easier to walk for a win than another one. Could be wrong about that, but that seems likely. For Blahovich, you got a couple of choices to make. He can strike it out if that's what he wants to do, but we know he can wrestle as well, right? So you just have to figure out what they want to do about that, what plan they want to uh, have. And I think it's going to be a lot like the Izzy plan, right? I mean, Izzy's a different exactly. fighter, different situation, but I think he's going to be all the way out until it's time to get in, and then I think he is going to take him down a little bit later, checking kicks on the outside, staying out there, making a move, making a miss if he can, getting reads, and then slowly kind of pot-shotting him thereafter, getting to the body, and then getting him down. I think that's really... I mean, you know, unless they've got some other clear insight about what's available to them, 205 Pereira, standing with him for as long as you have to, seems like you're courting unnecessary I'm glad you danger. said that. They do have that common opponent in Adesanya. I think that Adesanya game plan is exactly where Bohovic should be here, Luke. And it's like, look, Will Pereira's... It's like, how how much do we... He's training every day with Glover Teixeira. How much do we expect... 
that one day Pineda is going to go out there and his full ground game will be completely functional. Is that possible at this age, Luke? He's got to be getting better in every facet every single day in this continued evolution and transition from kickboxing to MMA on a full-time level. Still, even with that said, even with Pineda potentially not being weight drained, having more energy, and all the extra hours put in on the ground and in the river, if you're Blahovich, you don't want to stand and bang with this guy. You just don't, even with the legendary Polish power. You want to work from the outside. You want to use that heavy jab, mixing in calf kicks, but you got to time the takedowns because I still think you want to try to slow down, tire out uh, Pineda the best you can to open up an opportunity for big offense, Luke. I think that's right. And then also, you just, you know, Pareto will leave openings the more he gets aggressive, but like trying to get a sense of his movement and like trying to get a read and then waiting for it and whatnot, you know, I think that's important. Also, dude, like Blahovich is one of the best leg kicking checkers in all of the sport. Like he has no problems doing it. He can do it from a variety of different angles. And dude, it, I think it really messed Izzy up, not in terms of like causing him pain per se, but just not being able to land that and then having to go to second order offense. And that's where all the problems start because now they're much closer, right? So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see like what happens if Pereira can't get the leg kicking going and then, you know, has to resort to the hands. And then, of course, he's available in takedown range. I think it's going to be a problem for him. But BC, let's like, let's game this out a little bit here if we can. If Pereira goes in there and stops the well-liked, and I should say at this point, highly respected, Jan Blahovich, should he get a title shot? Well, I mean, it's an it's not an easy question to answer because there's no champion at the moment. I don't know when Prohatska's healthy. Originally, Yuri was saying it could be like late summer, which was you know an insanely quick turnaround from that big injury. You've also got Ankalaev just hanging out there, coming off of that draw with Blahovich. I mean. I could say yes, Blahovich. This would, you know, he 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 has a victory over Rakic since losing the title. Then he had the draw with Ankalaev. If he goes out there and beats Pedeta here, he sh- he should have to be as a former champion into a title fight. But there's no backdoor weirdness being set up, right? And what I mean by that is, if Pedeta wins, he's not then going to advance to a vacant light heavyweight title fight against Izzy, right? I mean, is there a reason they didn't put anything down for this? Although you could say in that scenario, maybe you should have put the title right here, right? Or I don't know. Is there, there's DDP's out there. In fact, Sean Strickland's next for Adesanya. This is a stupid question from your boy, BC. But I'm trying to understand why there wouldn't be a title at play. So to answer your question, yes. If Blahovich wins, it's probably very likely that he's fighting Yuri Prohatska for the title, correct? Probably, yes. But what, but I don't know. What about Ankalaev? What about everybody else up there, Luke? I don't have an answer for what's going on in this division. I do know that this fight is great. I think this fight's going to be insane to watch. It's going to be fantastic. I do think the winner is going to have a huge say in the next fight if that's for the vacant title. But don't you think the UFC in the back of their mind, they know they want Alex versus Izzy 3. So why not do it? Why not do it for a title, Luke? I'm just I know I muddied the waters there. You could. I, I don't think I that they would. I really don't think that they would. Uh, Izzy also has his work cut out for him. You got Strickland coming up. You got Duplessis coming up. You know he's got his work cut out for him. But at the same time, um, it wouldn't be the worst in the world. I just don't. Th- I just don't think it's next. It's it's hard to know what the rest of those pieces are. I will say this. I'm just going to declare it. If the winner of this fight wins it like dominantly or by stoppage, because you can obviously win dominantly by decision. He should get a title shot. That person, this should be, if there's a bracket, 
this should be one half of it as far okay, as Okay, so is the other half direction. automatically Prohaska because he never lost the belt and seemed to voluntarily give it up, or whether he was pressured or not, we don't know, but gave it up right after the injury. The same thing Jamal Hill did, and Jamal said that Dana promised him a title shot when he returns. Are you led to believe the winner of this fights Prohatska and not Ankalaya for the title? Probably. Probably. Okay. Um, or, or what they might end up doing is... So on the one end of the bracket, you, again, in, my, in our stipulated situation, you have this fight. And on the other end, you have Yiri versus uh, um, Ankalaev. You do that, but that one's all ready for the title. And then the winner of this fight gets the winner of that fight. And so the title just kind of moves through in that way. Almost like a four-man tourney, fight, the, the belt gets moved through every, every, or the, every stage, I should say. Something yeah, like grand, that. I think a Grand Prix, get. if you will. Luke, a will Grand you? Prix, if you will. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that, to me, seems very possible. But I'm just curious to see, you know, if Blahovich decides to bang with this guy and what it looks like, that could be fireworks. But, you know, if, if you're just in anyone's corner and you're going up against this guy who is a fucking monster, a monster, right? And already at 185 and even and somehow gets just, you know, not, yes, you get bigger going up weight classes. But, I mean, like, he's still even big for that weight class. I mean, that's the part. Right? He was a huge, huge middleweight. He's still a very big light heavyweight. If you're going up against that guy, do you really want to uh, uh, strike it out with him? And by the way, they have him at 6'4". I'm 6'4". He's taller than me. He's closer to 6'5". Uh, wow. You know, so... Yeah, but what are you, know, you with at your Look at his face. Look at his face. How tall are you with your toe spacers? That's what the people really want to know. Yeah, 6'3 and a half with the toe spacers. You know, okay. it really lowers Thank me to you. the ground a little bit. Hey, I need those. My feet are messed up. All right, BC. With that in mind, though, uh, one more time on the odds, if I can, for this contest. Dude, it's even closer than the main event. If you can... The, the UFC, you got to give them credit, man. They got some competitive fights. Jan Blahovic sitting at minus 125. Alex Pereira sitting at about a plus 105. Can't be mad at it. Give really me a can't main, be mad at it. Give me a main and co-main grade here, com- collectively entering Saturday. Um, it's got to be high. It's got to be very high. These are two very, very, very good fights. Collectively. I'll say A minus. I'll say A minus. Okay. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Let's bang. I mean, I can't believe that this is like... This has to be the going on at the same time as as Spence Crawford and Bellator Rising, and it's not unprecedented, right? The, the original BMF was the same time as Canelo versus Kovalev, although DAZN made that really interesting decision to make us all inside the MGM Grand watch the BMF title on the big screen while Canelo and Kovalev were sleeping on their respective couch. I mean, that's one of the weirder moments, seriously. In com- I mean, combat sports in modern days, Luke, has weird moments every other day. That's one of the weirdest moments, but I mean... It, should, can, are we allowed to lament? I mean, this isn't morning MMA, this show, Luke. It's morning combat. We cover it all. Are we allowed to l- at least lament the idea that we that these like monster events, could they be staged an hour apart? Why are we all going head-to-head? I guess that's the, the hand we were dealt in life. Our cup runneth over. I'm not going to yeah. complain. Uh, yeah. All right, BC, let's talk about topic number three, which is the other parts of the 291 card. Let me actually start a little bit differently here. Obviously, the Stephen Thompson uh, Michelle Pereira fight is very interesting, but I would rather talk about the other one, the biggest disparity in odds. There's two fights that have big ones: the Gabriel Bonfim Trevin Giles fight. There's a big uh, difference. Obviously, Bonfim is undefeated, and you can understand why. But the biggest one, BC, is actually Bobby Green Tony Ferguson. How about this? Tony Ferguson sitting at a plus three ten. Bobby Green, according to our friends at Caesars. 
minus 400. That's the biggest disparity in odds of any fight on the card. And BC, I can't really take issue with it as much as I would like to. I just can't. Can you? I mean, I know, but how many more times do we have to go through this, Luke? I love Tony I don't Ferguson. Know. I love Tony Ferguson. But when it was over, it was over, you know, violently and dramatically fast. And I know, Luke, he's coming off like he had moments against Nate in that weird last-minute fight. He still has a pulse. I'm not trying to tell him not to make a living. And I'm not trying to bring doom upon him. He was he had been one of my favorite fighters. Heck, he gave you that weird baseball that time, didn't he? Or what, what did he give you? He it was a uh, it was a like a balance ball that worked on like grip or balance something like that. Yeah, that was weird. I was standing next to you when that happened at that public uh, workout. My whole point is this: five losses in a row, three by stoppage, an insane amount of carnage along the way. This is it, right, Luke? Win or lose? Yeah, I mean, look at this. Look at this graphic, BC. Jesus, man. And the Diaz fight, I mean, here's the thing. Was he competitive in the Chandler fight a little bit early? Yes. Yeah, he was. Did he, was. Did he have a couple of moments against Nate Diaz? Sure. Uh, the Dariush fight was one-way traffic. The Oliveira fight was one-way traffic. And the Gaethje fight was the beginning of the end, if you ask me. I mean, I mean I the Gaethje fight was a whole career's worth of trauma in one night, to be fair. That's right. But, that's but right. look, here's, the, here's what I'm saying. It's like, this is a step down in matchmaking from those five. And it's the, you know, it's a more realistic matchup in terms of two guys that are aging that that both fight a fun style and all that there are scenarios that this could be a fun fight but there is an inevitability built in here that tony gets stopped and a sixth time would be the last time right luke you would imagine it would would imagine i mean you know dana white has at times like every promoter is going to have different rules different rules for themselves different commissions but i remember like you know, obviously this is very, very different. Well, not completely different, but, you know, different enough where BJ Penn was, you know, fist fighting and drunkenly in parking lots. And then Dana said something to the effect of, I don't want to make money on those kinds of fights. Like he'll never fight in the UFC again, not the actual fight in the parking lot. But I'm saying is like for a guy who's at this stage, we're not trying to make money off of him fighting. I suspect that if Bobby Green goes in there and lights him up and it's a stoppage and it's depressing, you know, whatever else anyone wants to say about Dana, I feel like he will look at a situation like that and just decide he doesn't want to make money off of something like that. You know, people can disagree with that. I don't know that that for a fact. But I, I just, I don't know how you can look at all of these losses. And again, you know, the Diaz loss wasn't as bad as the Chandler loss, but he went from getting maimed against Oliveira and just viciously beaten up against Gaethje to do that kick from Chandler was life-altering. And then Nate Diaz beating him on late notice was just like... I don't know, man. This is all heading in the wrong direction. You know, it's all no, heading it, in the it, wrong it's direction. It's not heading, Luke. We're, we're there. I think we're there already in the wrong yeah, direction. Fair, so fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I, I could see a scenario where he get. I mean, look, he's still getting monster pops from the crowd because rightfully so. I mean, he's an sure. absolute, absolute warrior. He's everything you would want in an action hero. But obviously, the greatest action heroes often need to be saved from themselves. What percentage out of 100 that win or lose, this is Tony Ferguson's last fight in the octagon? 90 90 percent because i could see him winning getting the love and just walking away and we have a nice moment right can we have a nice moment on saturday here's the thing pop quiz bc don't look how old is tony ferguson 39 yeah yeah okay so you know dude 39 at this weight class especially with all the damage he's taken yeah dude that is you know it's just absolutely an extraordinary amount now the screen is freezing i'm going to talk through it but i just want to be clear about this 
39 years of age in this weight class is, I'm not going to say a death sentence, but at the same time, BC, it's just you're not at, in any capacity in the right place to be. So, well, I know you have a great stat about fighters, you know, over the age of 35 at welterweight or below in title fights. What is the stat on fighters 39 and over on five fight losing streaks entering a pay per view main card fight? <laughs> can't be good. It can't be good. At all, dude. It's probably real bad. Uh, all right, BC. Also on this card of note to me, we talked a little bit about it on Monday. Uh, Stephen Thompson fighting Michelle Pereira. This is the third fight from the top on the main card. Obviously, Wonderboy Thompson comes into this fight sitting at 40 years of age, if you can believe that. 40. He's, time flies. But he is coming off that win over Kevin Holland all the way back in 2022. By contrast, Michelle Pereira coming into this contest. How about this? As you indicated, five fight win streak dating all the way back to 2020 with the sort of somewhat renewed style that he has. And you can see their overall records on the tail of the tape here. Between them, BC, I got to say, when you look at the odds here, this is what they say our friends at Caesars. They have Pereira as a slight underdog, plus 125, Stephen Thompson 150. Any concerns in your mind? Pereira kind of goes back to the old wild guy. Or maybe it's the exact opposite, and he even tries to wrestle. I was going to say think? that because in this five-fight win streak, we have seen flashes of that wrestling, and you're like, wow, what would a commitment be like? I mean, look, as much as he has gassed out in the past early in his UFC run by doing all the theatrics on the way to the cage and then in the, the mat. I mean, look, uh, do I love the wild video game-ness of it? Yes, but I've always been critical of him in the in the idea of pushing that energy toward the idea of winning fights. When he focuses that energy, I don't think there's a human alive in better physical shape than this guy. He's got a great motor. He's muscular as shit. He's explosive. But like the Johnny Walker reinvention, there's a, there's a similarity there in that regard. We've got to see him focusing on winning fights because with a five-fight win streak, and I am surprised that he's an underdog here, although I, I realize at 40 that Stephen Thompson is still not that far removed from Stephen Thompson. I mean, he's still, when he loses, it's only against the super elites, and he's still a very tough out, and he stopped Kevin Holland, like you mentioned. Yeah, I need to see not a not the Capoeira Predator who's trying to, you know, please people in the crowd too willingly and trying to make art with Wonderboy. This is not the time for that. You're on a five-fight win streak and you're facing the biggest name available to you to really just catapult. Look, if he extends this to a six-fight win streak and beats Wonderboy, seriously, we're catapulting him into the title picture. There's no question about it. So for that and for his age, he's been here now a while. I want to see the complete game. I want to see a strategic game. I want to see him go out there and beat Wonderboy Thompson and get that big stamp on his resume, and then we can find out how great this guy can be. My confidence level that he'll necessarily do that, Luke, not high. Not high, Luke. I'm not high either. Not high. Not high. Not high. Not, you mean not high enough. BC, yeah, yeah. pop quiz. <laughs> pop quiz. Don't look. Don't look. How old is Pereira? I'm going to guess 35. How about 29? 29 years of age. Should I STFU after that age? After that, maybe he's not as old as I thought, Luke. I should STFU, shouldn't I? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just think, you know, the guy came in with a very athletic uh, background uh, and obviously ability and was raw and kind of a donk, you know, just out there donking it up, doing donk stuff. Yeah. And has slowly refined it, but has not been, uh, to my knowledge, 
Like his best win is what? The Ponzinibbio. I mean, in terms of names, it's the Ponzinibbio win, but that was a split decision. You know what I mean? Yep. Like this yep. would be by far, in terms of names, his best win. Christ on crutches. Well, this is, you know, hey, Wall Street Journal. Quit telling me. He never tapped. He never tapped, Luke. Crutches yeah. or not. All right. Just a reminder. Anyway, point I'm trying to make here is he at 29, I think folks have kind of like, oh, he's this reformed thing, but how far can he take it? It's a fair question. My point is at 29, Maybe pretty far, actually. Maybe like these growing pains that we've seen are not just growing pains, but that the actual upside is significantly further than we imagined. Tough fight against Thompson to show that, but 40 versus 29, like, all right. Yeah, you know? And also, to be fair on Pededa, I just made him 35 when he's really 29. The only UFC losses he did have are exactly that. They're donk losses, Luke. The DQ against Diego Sanchez, where Diego kind of extra milked that to get the win to stay alive. And then the where he completely gassed out against Tristan Connolly, a level he should not have been losing fights at because he did all the, the character shit. I hope that guy has made the evolution, but there is a window here. So stock versus stock. They we have Wonder Boy as the favorite because he has, to his credit, retained a lot of that speed that he needs and elusiveness to pull off the style that he does. But stock versus stock, how far away do you think Pedeta actually is this version of him right now? You know, talent wise compared to this version of Thompson. It does have a pick em feel to it. It does. I mean, here's what it tells me is one thing I know for sure. Wonder Boy is, has fought much better guys and has beaten much better guys. About that, there can simply be no denial. However, it is also pretty clear to me that his punch resistance has been somewhat, you know, obviously comp- I mean, you're 40 and you've been, you know, point fighting karate or even fist fighting professionally for quite some time. Yeah, of course it's going to be diminished. I mean, Pettis put his lights out. A guy like Pereira, if he lands, is going to put his lights out. So that's really, to me, kind of what I'm looking for. And also, like, you know, to what extent can a guy like this um, force Thompson into positions he wants to be in versus just kind of taking what Thompson gives him and hoping for the best, which is a little bit what he does sometimes with, with some of this stuff. Um, it's an interesting fight. It's an intriguing one. Very, we, we said it on Monday, right, BC? Crossroads, right? 40 and 29 crossroads fight if ever there was one but old guys in the UFC can sometimes use that wisdom um, for great effect Luke did you know that that Las Vegas' own Chef Kaz K-A-S is uh, you know not just a a chef to the stars in the UFC but he's a capoeira sensei does he wear streetlights on his Bozak as he does capoeira lessons (laughs) I thought it's Chef Kaz the other day Luke I went to acupuncture and they were like do you want to do cupping and I'm like all my favorite UFC fighters do it do you know I have purple marks on my back now for the yeah. sixth straight day, like bright ass purple circles, Luke? I, yeah, yeah. Did it work? I'm, it did. Well, yeah, I do it for anxiety, Luke. Look, I'm ridden with anxiety. I don't. I'm not trying to say I own it, Luke. I'm trying to get rid of it. Okay, I'm trying to. Sell Dude, it, if it wasn't for Zequil, I don't think I'd ever sleep again. I think I'd, I'm dead serious. I don't. I don't think I'd ever sleep again. Anyway, neither here nor there. I'm dying inside. <laughs> Uh, BC, here's the fight we didn't talk much about on Monday. I would love to talk about now. How about the return of Michael Chiesa? BC, we haven't seen 35-year-old Michael Chiesa. Now, we saw him for RSD, but I'm saying in the octagon, we haven't seen him since his loss to Sean Brady all the way back in November of 2021. It has been some time for Michael Chiesa. He takes on Kevin Holland. What do you say, BC? Seems like striker versus grappler, does it not? 
It, it definitely does, Luke. And I'm interested in seeing this this fight and how it breaks down. And it's like, look, with Kiesa, it's been a while, and he he is on a two fight losing streak. I mean, do you would you call at 35, even with the growing broadcasting career, there there feels like an element of must win here for our for our good friend Michael Kiesa. I think must win's a strong word because I think he can still stay on the roster and beat guys who matter enough for the fans to care. Definitely. And if he wins here, obviously he's off to the races. But to your point, let's say he loses. Let's posit a world where he loses. Then what? Um, yeah, that would be a problem. That would be three in a row. And, you know, you can say, oh, well, you didn't beat Vicente Luque. But Luque, you know, we'll talk about him in just a minute, is a hammer, right? I mean, he's just an absolute hammer. Sean Brady, he did get touched up on the feet. Sean Brady did. But Sean Brady isn't. We saw him in person. We had him on the RSD couch. A fucking gorilla. Just an absolute gorilla of the highest order. And Michael Chiesa even told us that that day when we had him on for RSD. Like, he just couldn't believe how strong Sean Brady is. Now, Kevin Holland is a Travis Luter black belt, which that does deserve to be, you know, acknowledged as... Travis Luter's a very good teacher, and a black belt from him is not easy to get. At the same time, it's just like Michael Chiesa should have a very clear advantage. So, it's not that Kevin Holland is any kind of a pushover. It's not what I mean. But if you can't beat a guy who's got a clear deficiency in the skill set on paper at this stage, it does sort of raise questions about what ultimately is possible at 170. Sure. That was supposed to be this like reinvention for him, right? Yeah. It's crazy that Holland's already fought twice since that last-minute loss to Chemayev, Luke. But he tends to fight every month anyway. He's the well, modern-day cowboy. Say, I mean, he's right? unbelievable. His record 24-9, and nine, sitting at 30. He's only 30. Only 30 years of age. So you noted he lost to Hamzat. Then he lost to Wonderboy. That was Wonderboy's last fight. But then rebounded against Santiago Ponzinibbio with that beautiful left hook. And he looked good doing it. By the way, suffering adversity early in that fight and then coming back. Like, dude, Kevin Holland is really rounding out his game. He's really turning into something special. And, you know, the thing is, it's like you really got to admire his willingness to take on challenges that don't necessarily serve his interests yeah uh and in terms of like how the matchup should work and he doesn't ever seem to shy away from it dude i, no. I tip my cap to old kevin he's Holland. the he's, new he's cowboy he is luke you know i'll i'll go do the dishes while you go have a beer <laughs> where is my luke the, he is the new cowboy in that regard i've always had though when you have that identity you get big opportunities you can get big wins you also accumulate losses though and at some level People don't take you seriously as a title contender. Even with a division change, Luke, will there be a run for Kevin Holland? I mean, if he gets a win here over a very good name like Chemayev and, and, and can put together, you know, continue putting together the streak coming off of that defeat, the defeats, but it would be two in a row for him. Could this be the direction now at age 30 to actually make a run in a new division here at welterweight? Or is this going to be Kevin Holland's identity? Gun for hire, makes fun fights, goes out there and pours out the jug. I think if he beats Michael Chiesa and uh, listen, as long as he's willing to just fight whenever he'll have, uh, uh, this is the lesson of Donald Cerrone, right? The lesson of Donald Cerrone is that uh, taking fights the way that he did probably limited his true upside. But even with that, he was able to get a certain amount of acclaim, you know, for all of the risk he, that he was willing to court. And then he had a moment, like that moment where he was beating like the Rick Stories of the world and whatnot. He looked amazing. And he earned the title shot against RDA. Ultimately, that you know, that uh, didn't work. But you see what I'm saying? Like he could have pronounced, um, you know, bouts, so to speak, no pun intended, where 
he really is shining and and breaking through. But if he's not more selective over time, then it probably could cost him. When I say selective, I don't mean like ducking everybody, but I mean like, am I really ready for a Michael Chiesa right now? We shall see on Saturday, but it certainly is a questionable fight. Do you have any comments about Cowboy Cerrone calling out Andrew Tate or Cowboy Oliveira's libido? Either one. Do you have any comments? I did not. So, first of all, Cowboy Oliveira, is he the Antonio Cromartie of MMA? I believe that is the correct answer, yes. Right? Just can't stand condoms. Just the worst things on earth, right? <laughs> okay, um, okay, Luke. I mean, some, some of us have lived and died on the rhythm method for many decades. Okay, I'm just Luke? saying. I'm just saying. But on the other side, I didn't know that Cowboy did that. Um, he would probably be a problem, I'm going to guess. He's on TRT. This, this. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know. Cowboys endured a lot of damage. That's true, but uh, I wouldn't want to accept that challenge. I can put that to you very, very, very clearly. Um, BC, I'll give you one more chance. Tell me any other fight on this. Oh, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. How about this? Derek Lewis. We got to talk about it, and we we yeah. did on Monday, but it's worth bringing up one more time. He st- stands at twenty six and eleven is his record. Thirty eight years of age. By the way, younger than Tony Ferguson, younger than Wonder Boy. Kind of amazing. But also in the heavyweight class, so this is hardly any disaster. But BC, he has not won since beating Chris Dawkins all the way back in 2021. Let me remind folks, it wasn't like he was exactly fighting scrubs out there. He fought oh. Tai Tuivasa and got stopped with that brutal elbow in the second round. Then he fought Sergei Pavlovich, beat him inside, or excuse me, lost, I should say, inside the first round. And okay, Pavlovich is just a, you know one of the most dynamic punchers in the sport. And then he lost to Sergei Spivak, who we talked about is very much reformed since taking his game to Extreme Couture, tightening things up, really leveraging his strengths. Here he's got another guy who is willing to bang it out with him, and the Derek Lewis of old should definitely beat a guy of this level. The question is, right, BC, is this still the Derek Lewis of old? Yeah, I mean, look, four or five losses against anybody when all four by stoppage is, is damning, even in the heavyweight division where stoppages obviously happen often. When he has stepped down a level like he did against Chris Dawkins, that guy was still in there. But, you know, I mean, look, Derek Lewis is always feast or famine. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what kind of shape he's going to be in. You never know the, the strength of his back. You never know because of how often he says, I just do this for the money. I'm not, you know, I don't care about the title. This feels like a get well style of matchmaking to, you know, crowd favorite to see if he can put a little run back together. But... I really have doubts, Luke. It's not just getting caught and stopped by very good fighters. He has some very implosive defeats where 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 it seems, you know, almost self-induced. And while I appreciate him admitting that that gone loss was largely him just being overwhelmed by the pressure of being in a title fight in his hometown and all that comes with that. I appreciate the candor in that regard and and the humility. But it's also a big part of who he is. Now, this fight doesn't have those same stakes outside of potentially the stakes of job security, which are nothing to be laughed at. But he should win this. I hope this leads to the eye of the tiger coming out in camp and him going in there and showing that. Either way, it's going to be a slugfest. We know that coming in, Luke. But, man, I love Derek Lewis. I don't want to see him fade away badly and lose on this level and you add up the, I mean look if he goes out there and loses and especially gets stopped Luke I don't know how you could continue to employ him I don't and I and, but really but I do even even with the name and the fact that he delivers mm. entertainment how if a guy's getting stopped you know five times in six fights how are you this is a step there's a legitimate step down in matchmaking how are you going to continue that Luke I don't well, know I mean Delima well, maybe his one four of five like he's not like you know I mean he beat Maurice Green Ben Rothwell, Andre Olovsky, and then Waldo Cortez Acosta. Now, that last name, not necessarily not on the level of these other guys. Or in not terms moved, of like, Luke. Not moved at all. Congratulations. I mean, if you're, all, allowed really? to, 
If you're allowed to shit on Marcin Tybura's seven win in eight fights by saying he hasn't beaten anybody, I'm allowed to. Okay, shit but he on was this. fighting Tom Aspinall in a main event. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, okay, Luke. But here's the deal. Ultimately, okay, um, a lot of pressure on him. They're gonna bang. I love Derek Lewis. I love interviewing him. I love everything about him. I want to see him back. I want to see him return. He's got that opportunity right here. No question about it. But it, it that, the recent history has not has not been kind. But look, you know, this has been a big week for YouTube Mea culpas. Can I just give my own right now and just say this? I know Cyril Gans fighting Sergey Spivak, not Sergey Pavlovich, as I've said eighteen times on the last episode, and I believe two episodes before that, Luke, I tried to map out the future of the heavyweight division, even though. Matchmaking-wise, it's already been mapped out, and I came up empty on every single matchup because they were already pre-determined. You know, so I failed in my heavyweight homework right there. I may have failed again by shitting on Marcos de Ruggiero de Lima de Middlenog. But, Luke, if he beats Derek Lewis, it's over for the Black Beast. Okay, bro? It is. It is. All right. It fair is. enough. Let's move on if we can, BC. Let's talk about topic number four. It's the reason for the season on the boxing side of things. Spence versus Crawford. Now, one more reminder again. Actually, it won't be the last reminder, but it'll be another reminder. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., 10 a.m. in the East, BC and I will be on CBS Sports Network for two hours from 10 a.m. to noon, getting you ready for the big fight. Okay, that aside, BC, we are going to have more to say there. All right, and I encourage everyone to tune in tomorrow if they can. But for today, I wanted to ask a very simple question. Give me the best argument for Bud winning, and then let's talk about the best argument for Spence winning. Pick whichever one you want first. All right. Terrence Crawford is a more dynamic fighter than Errol Spence. I understand Terrence Crawford being a slight betting favorite here. I believe he actually has more ways to win. When Terrence Crawford switches to southpaw, and granted he's fighting against another southpaw here, but we know the history of Terrence Crawford. When he switches to southpaw, and, and which shows you that he has figured you out, he becomes a nasty, dynamic, unpredictable offensive fighter. Obviously, a key to this matchup is the fact that both are fighting opponents that are, you know, the boss at the end of the video game. That can both do it all, that you can't get away with certain things that just because they worked against this guy. You're fighting almost a Spider-Man meme equivalent, although they're different fighters. But for Bud Crawford, Luke, I feel... He's got to constantly be a chameleon out there. I don't think that, that, unlike other fights, I don't think it's just once you make that adjustment, the fight's over because Spence can constantly adjust the same. I need a Crawford who is switching stances on the regular, switching up looks, being elusive, because when Errol Spence is allowed to go downhill on you, sometimes it does come down to the idea uh, what we were talking about in Gaethje versus Poirier of foundationally, he can break you with that pressure for Terrence Crawford. He is a little bit more quick, a little bit more elusive, a little bit more creative. I've got to see the full color palette of what this artist can do. And the best part about this fight to me is the true level of competitiveness, competitiveness between them. It's a hundred out of 100. There is a very, 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 very good chance that inevitably this becomes a dogfight at the highest level, still retaining elite skills. Inevitably it's going to turn there. Terrence Crawford in my mind has to do his best to delay that inevitability. Yes. He's got to discipline Spence and try his best to, to prevent that forward constant downhill pressure on him. But to me, that comes through the creativity, the ability to be there and not be there. Yes, he's 35 years old. He's the older, f oldest fighter. But when the best face the best, sometimes 
greatness, as we saw in a new way against Fulton, can be jacked up to another level. I believe Terrence Crawford has a distinct next level ability that he has not even been forced to show in this division. To me, that's going to come through the artistry. I, I, I get him being the betting favorite. I get a lot of the experts, which, you know, you get a lot of 50, this is a 50, 50 fight. You're getting a lot of people leaning either way based on different things. But is there more of a majority opinion, even though it's very close? Yeah, that's Terrence Crawford because of those skills, because of that constant elusiveness. He's got to be mentally one step ahead at all times. On the flip side, the case for Spence, I think, is fairly simple. Even though he can do everything, he is an absolute welterweight tank. You just cannot find somebody, mind you, in a softpaw stance on top of that, who is that big, durable, long, in that level of shape, with cardio for days, who is going to just bite down and keep coming forward, never recklessly, but a willingness to constantly keep up that mental pressure and mental fatigue. What would be the best way to snuff out some of that dynamic ability of what Crawford can do that maybe Spence can't? It is by cutting off that ring and being a physical force and being willing to endure. Yes, we have seen Spence buzzed briefly by Danny Garcia, by Sean Porter, by even Ugas in that last fight. And if you go even deeper, you may remember the Emmanuel Larte fight on his way up where he was straight up rocked and did a dance. But Spence has survived detached retina surgery, survived an insane accident in which he's lucky to be alive. And when he goes into that ring, that's the closest thing you're going to get in the welterweight division to an absolute tank walking you down, beating you down. It's not just the punches that land. It's the physical thing, the durability and the physicalness that gets on top of you and wears you out. Can Terrence Crawford, even the great Terrence Crawford, can he be broken with Spence's plan A? I think he can. I think that's why this fight is so great. There are strong cases on either side just as well as there's potential that the playbooks get thrown out and at some point the dogs come out and we find out whose backbone actually is stronger. I don't think Bud Crawford can beat Spence trying to out-dog him. Do you? I say I he, no. I think he can use more skills to win. Yes, I do think that's true. Look, I say out-dog? no. I say no, but I will say this. You will agree with this. When Spence has figured you out and goes into finishing mode, he is nasty. He is nasty in his intention, in his power. And when you mix that with the creativity from the Southpaw stance, I'm not going to put it past him. I mean, look, here's, here's the deal. We are probably heading toward a disputed decision and a great fight, correct? So it's going to be the slightest adjustment that ultimately might win this. But can but, can Bud survive all. the flames? I'm not going to tell you no. I'm not. Because that guy is an all-time great, which is why this fight is so special. Okay, fair enough. Let me give one argument, if I may, for Spence that I don't feel like gets enough credit. Now, again, when Spence fought Porter, this is not true, but Spence fought Porter in a way that I would say is, relative to a lot of the other fights I've seen, very undisciplined from him. He just didn't look... You know, when there was questions about, like, oh, who is Spence after the car wreck? I'm like, yeah, I sort of get it. And, but then you go to the Ugas fight, and he just, in my judgment, completely redeemed himself. I was talking to... Um, I was talking to, uh, to somebody who knows Chris Algieri. And Chris Algieri, uh, who, by the way, fought Spence and I think didn't make it past the fifth, uh, it was a beatdown from, from Spence, uh, had said that w- when Algieri fought Spence and when he hit him, it said it felt like he was hitting someone who had armor. That he couldn't believe like how sturdy, 
physically his body is. Now, he can be hit in the chin, and, you know, everyone is liable to be hit there. Kel Brook touched it a few times as well. But BC, there is something about, like, have you seen, like, they're both in tremendous shape. But And by the way, I know Bud used to wrestle, and I know people say Bud is very strong, even for 147. But I have to tell you, man, you look at Spence, he is in absurd, absurd shape. Physically, you look at him, he looks like he is chiseled out of stone. And when you hear someone else like Algeri, who, by the way, was a world champion in boxing, say when he touched him, it felt like he was punching armor. Man, I got to tell you, I really wonder, you know, if Spence is able to make a lot of this fight an inside fight, and he's got that kind of just physical freakness to him in terms of uh, sturdiness, and he actually ends up being the stronger guy. I think that could end up being a decisive factor for him, ultimately, if the fight ends up going 12 rounds. What do you think? I, I fully agree with you. I actually talked to Chris Algieri for a feature on Spence Luke that I have coming out this week, and Sweet. he echoed the same exact comments that you're saying that he said, where it was like when he went in there against him, mind you, in that part of Spence's rise, Algieri was the first legitimate tough test. Former champion at 140 who had moved up to 47. No, never a big puncher, but slick, can outstyle you. He was remarkably blown away by the fact that Spence, who has a deep amateur history, a deeper one than Bud, to be fair, was so hard to hit for a guy who's walking you down and coming forward. But damn, did he echo exactly what you said. He said he, he landed his first, Algeri said he landed his first big shot on a big body shot, and it just, it almost hurt his hand, he said. It was like it did nothing to bul- budge him or make him go back. And one mm-hmm. thing Algeri told me that is so key, and something we have to think about entering this fight, is for being that extremely large as Spence is for this division, it cutting all that weight so dramatically does not damage his gas tank. His CompuBox number-wise, he's one of the busiest welterweights among the elites, so you think about the mental pressure he puts on you. He's a freaking like Yoel Romero-like tank for this weight class, yet he's never going to get tired, he's got a great chin, and he's constantly throwing punches and going hard to the body and getting on you. Algeria even brought up a great point. He said, even when you block body punches against Spence at close range, he's punching you in a way that is driving your own elbow into your ribcage, meaning everything he lands is forceful and meant to hurt you, whether it's being blocked or not. That is something to seriously think about because Spence has not hit his cards, Luke. He said he's going through Crawford. We know that even though... He outboxed Mikey Garcia purposely from distance. You have to believe he believes, meaning Spence, his true edge in this fight will come down to that size plus dog. Could that be enough? Could Terrence Crawford be broken? I do think it's possible because Spence is that great, Luke. Man, this could this fight could go in so many different directions. I mean, look, it's it, we're we're headed toward a disputed decision, aren't we? We are. This fight's going to be so brilliant. We are. It could be, or or one size is going to beat down the other one. You know, it could yeah. be that way. It could be Bud's magic takes over or Spence the Terminator takes over. Honestly, I'm prepared for, frankly, any of these outcomes, if, if we can be candid. But the best case scenario to me is either the Terminator style of Spence is going to matter or Bud's ability to adapt and improvise on the yeah. fly is going to matter. And they're both so effing dynamic with it. Cannot wait for Saturday. And again, one more time, 10 a.m. in the East tomorrow, 7 a.m. in the West Catch me and BC on CBS Sports Network, getting you ready with every element and detail of this fight. It should be a great time. BC, we move along, if we can, to a very weird story and, frankly, a bit of a concerning one, if I can say so myself. So, according to the Nevada Athletic Commission here, I'm looking at the story from MMA Fighting, Vicente Luque has been cleared to fight 
after suffering a brain bleed in the Jeff Neal knockout loss. So the, I'm just going to read just a part of this. Luke is 31. He's only 31. He's been around forever, right? Damn. Was knocked out in the third round on August 6th of 2022 against Jeff Neal, and he was given a one-year suspension after suffering the brain bleed. He applied for a new fight license during a meeting with the Nevada Commission on Tuesday. So he's scheduled to headline UFC Vegas 78 against Rafael Dos Anjos. Not like some scrub. I know he's a smaller sort of welterweight, but still. And, of course, that'll be August 12th at the Apex. So this is what it says. Quote, as a condition of his licensure, Luque was required to submit clearance from both a neurologist and a neurosurgeon independent of one another to fight as well uh, to fight, excuse me, as well as a new MRI of his brain. Uh, the, the Nevada Athletic Commission's medical consultant reviewed and approved the clearance. The executive director, Jeff Mullen, told MMA Fighting after an initial report that initially came from MMA Junkie. Um, that's it. Okay, so BC, should we be concerned or how do you feel? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, first and foremost, that's concerning news. And this sport is so dangerous that, that we, we want only the best for Luke and the safest decision to come back. But look, I, I do think... With the increased focus on brain health research and the, you know, adjusted levels of testing that that UFC has committed to and that we see at the highest level of combat sports, has there not been evidence of some sort of, like, brain regeneration after injuries like this when they're not overly dramatic i mean i i think we've seen that right in the past that fighters have been had this diagnosis took some time off and were able to sort of recover if if that can be proven by health and we can go in that direction it gives you some level of confidence on a clearance but still in general bleeding on the brain is about as dangerous thing as you can get in here that used to just mean an automatic retirement and an exit here Mm -hmm. if he does get clean through thorough research there could be an adapted future of of sustaining and advancing, but am I nervous for moving forward? You're damn right, Luke. I mean, listen, you know, what the hell do we know about brain health beyond what we read in the headlines or what some authority figure tells us? I, I don't have any training in this discipline. I don't know anything about it. I do know that when you're bleeding on the brain, that's extremely serious, and I do know that, like, that is concerning. I mean, you know, I got mixed feelings, BC. Like, on the one hand, he's 31, and, you know, if... If a neurosurgeon and another, uh, excuse me, let me look at the let me look at the wording here one more time. A neurologist and a neurosurgeon, again independent of one another, are able to come to some kind of an agreement about this uh, in terms of what their consensus is, and then a third doctor essentially is reviewing it. I mean, that's that gives me some hope. Plus, they're having MRI. That gives me some hope. I just have to say, like, maybe he can fight again. Honestly, but like two things kind of stand out to me. One, what if he gets viciously KO'd? Because that may have nothing to do with his like the current state of his brain per se, but like more just his style. And then what does that do to compound any existing problems? I do worry about that. And the other part is it's like, okay, maybe he could fight again in terms of like the things that we know to look for, that the health markers that matter. Again, like we're we're making sure uh, medical professionals of different but related disciplines are all looking at this. But what about the CTE? The long-term CTE? Like, if you're 30 years old, because he's 31 now, if you're 30 years old and you're suffering brain bleeds, what are you going to be when you're 41 years old? You know? And, like, dude, it's amazing. Like, people, like, young men in their 20s or early 30s are very hard to talk to about, like, hey, you're going to have a life after all of this, and you're going to want to, like, have a little bit more ability to, you know, think through those years and be cognitively clear and 
in control of what you want to be in control of. And you're trading some of that off here doing this. And if you're 30 and having a brain bleed, man, I got to tell you, like, I don't know, bro. I don't know how. I mean, I can understand an argument for why he should be able to fight. What I'm having a harder time figuring out is like, dude, what is the end game here? You know, are you, is he really going to spend like four more years trying to get a title shot after having a brain bleed and coming up short and potentially getting serious knockouts? And then now we've just added this incredible amount of CTE in the process. I don't know, man. I don't, there's, these are tough questions. There's no clean answer. It's one of life's, you know, and the fight games, you don't want to deny someone an opportunity to compete kind of situation, but ugh. Yeah. I got to tell you, I'll be, I'll be watching that one with the looking through my fingers. You know what I mean? I mean, look, we've seen major, major rule changes in the NFL, which do more things to protect brain health. But, you know, the effects are obviously the rules of increased scoring and stuff like that. But they've st- it's still football, right? You can still tackle. It's still physical. Do you ever see a, a? I mean, things go cyclically, some cyclically sometimes in, in terms of public trends and what we rail against or what we're not worried about. I mean, do you see a scenario where combat sports? I mean, you'd have to have major major issues to get here, but where where combat sports, you where you where you see major rule changes to try to offset this. At the end of the day, Luke, it is what it is in terms of the violence and the the threat that it offers. Um, yeah, I, I, dude, I, we are not experts. We don't have answers on this, but. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Know I will I'm say this: like, I got questions, you know, we I don't. don't again, this is just beyond our purview. But I do wonder. It's like we always say, "Oh, you wouldn't be able to fight after something like catastrophic, like you know, brain swelling, and they have to like crack your skull open so that, that your brain can have room to to swell." Like, yeah, after something like that, you're not going to be fighting anymore, right? I mean, that sounds like pretty pretty clear. And you know. Um, who was the quarterback in DC? Alex Smith, who like completely had he, he didn't just fracture his femur, or I should say his his um, his shin bone. He actually had what's called a spiral f- fracture, where it was a break through a twist, and he was still able to to come back and you know play reasonably ish well for another NFL season or so. But BC, I got to tell you, like you know, again, we don't know, but are the uh, is like you know a catastrophic situation, the only one where you should stop fighting, you know, where you like literally can't even anymore, or is something like this actually the canary in the coal mine to tell you to stop? I don't know. Hard to say, Luke, you know, hard for us to say too, when somebody's still in at such a young age and feels like they, this is their career, but what, you know, you gotta, you gotta play the risk and the worth. And, and, um, I wish him well, Luke, either way. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't I, again, have the answer. I, may the best man win on August 12th. That's all you can ever hope for. Uh, but what I would say is I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. That's it. All right. Uh, topic number six, BC, let's go through some fight announcements here very quickly. If we can, uh, at caged aggression, MMA, I guess this is October 14th. Pat Milicic God, is going to fight Mike. Mike Jackson, I guess this is the fight brought to you by Jan 6 or something. So, so, according to the internet, Luke, according to Twitter, at some point Mike Jackson sought the coaching of Pat Militich for a fight, which didn't end up happening. He had a little bit of a falling out with Pat. That reportedly led to Mike Jackson making public comments about Pat's political leanings. Remember, he was there on the steps on January 6th and even some level of of accusations of racism that led to them not being on good terms that has now led to this regional MMA fight when Pat is, what, 58 years old? Yeah, he's old. What are we doing here, Luke? What are we doing here? I don't know. 
I don't know. Um, I think also Militich, I mean, I'm, dude, I'm so tuned out, but my understanding is I might be messing this up. Someone can dead wrong me. It's okay. Something related to Pat feels like accusations from Mike have led yes. to being blackballed from the industry. I'm not. From, he had an, what did he have? An LFA announcing job and that he feels that he lost due to, due to social media allegations of racism linked towards yeah. January 6th and all of that. I mean, so it's. I want to fist fight it out. I mean. I mean, what a shit storm. That's perfect for MMA, but, you know. I, I mean, look, Pat's a badass. No one's ever, any, ever questioning that. But what are we gaining with this? We're gaining nothing with this. This is, this is weird, Luke. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's just, it's. It's not bizarre. influencer fighting. It's like political influencer fighting, almost in a way. You know, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, moving on from that, BC. Derek Brunson's going to be fighting Roman Delize. You love that Yo. one. UFC 295, November 11th. Yes, excited. Yes. Luke, Roman's got a bun in the oven, right? This would be a big fight for their family's future, correct? I don't know, but I'll take your word for it. Well, I happen to, I happen to have Instagram on my, on my phone, so that's why I've seen stuff like that. But yeah, look, I like this matchup. Roman had his close-up against Vittori, whether he was, you know, to find out if he was really coming through and going to be a future hammer. Close fight, ultimately lost it, but I do think there's a lot to learn from that and build on in terms of, of putting some things together. He does have some things to iron out. Derek Brunson at this point, Luke, Cisco hair dye job or not, thong, th thong, 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 does feel like the right opponent to find out whether he's coming or going here. The nice bounce back opportunity against a, a guy with a great name who's still got something left in the tank. Okay. Uh, this one got announced, I think, yesterday, if memory serves, but Patricio Pitbull, Frede, uh, we all know him. He just lost to, obviously, Sergio Pettis, is going to take on Chihiro Suzuki. This will be this weekend. He's fighting on four days notice, I guess, uh, with... I'll say it, Luke. Just... AJ McKee had to pull out yes. uh, of the of the lightweight World Grand Prix, and Roberto D'Souza is in to take on Patricky Pitbull, but to Correct. bolster up the card due to the loss of AJ McKee, who is now out of the tournament with this injury, we're going to get Patricio Pitbull back against a kickboxer in Suzuki, could be interesting. Could be interesting. Saturday from Japan there in this Bellator Super Ryzen 2 crossover event. It could be. I mean, he, that, that the Pettis win was sort of like, you know, obviously Pitbull didn't look bad, but he didn't look Pitbull. I'd be curious to see what he looks like here on Saturday. Uh, BC, I thought we talked about this. Maybe not. Corey Sandhagen, obviously no longer fighting Umar Nurmagomedov, is now going to take on Rob Font, UFC Nashville, August 5th. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, he's one half of the Font Forecast podcast, along with uh, with uh, my, with our guy uh, Luke. What's our guy's name from Liverpool? Mike, Mike Owens. Evans, Mike, Mike Owens, Owens. Yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike Owens, Owens yeah. Media. Shout out there. So yeah, so obviously Font was supposed to be fighting on that Boston card in a big fight. Font coming off that resounding finish of Adrian Yanez to hand him his first defeat. Now he's getting a huge opportunity here, Luke. If it it does feel like, look, this is the last run for Rob Font potentially here in his mid-30s, coming off such a breakthrough win. Talk about an opportunity here against Corey Sandhagen. If he goes out there and wins that, Luke, I mean, we're we're talking about the top of the pops, right? Top of the pops, absolutely. Sandhagen wins. He's going to be right at the cusp of a title shot. If Font wins, that's the best win in his UFC run. He's coming in red hot. Corey Sandhagen's coming in red hot. You know, we lost some stuff to make this fight happen. Obviously, people got injured, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not mad at it at all. Love this fight. Uh, BC, very quickly, Nasrat Hakparast is taking on Sam Patterson, UFC Paris, September 2nd. 
Okay. If that matters to you. Okay. No, it, it's all right. I mean, I'm, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. And then Jamie Malarkey taking on John McDessey. John McDessey's still on the roster. God. UFC 293, September 9th. Look, were you a bigger fan of John Alessio or Alessio Sakara? John Alessio had, uh, ooh. And who John Alessio's fight with Diego Sanchez was interesting and weird. Uh, and Alessio Sakara got kicked in the balls by Ron Faircloth so hard he dry heaved right. and the fight was over. The Italian So, Scallion. you know, they both have memorable moments. All right, all right. I, I will I'll say this. To fight at a I'll say this. The tattoos the of Sakara, a little bit better. A little bit better. A little bit better in that regard. Hey, Luke, can we get to topic seven? Because I was jumping out of my shorts when I heard this. Well, you know what? I don't even care about this topic. Why don't you lead with this topic? All right. You're the BC special here on this one. A lot of people are always asking me, BC, who's the best featherweight in the world? And, and you know, I often have to unfortunately say he's retired and his name is Zabit Magomed Sharapov. But according to Zabit, Luke, who I assume here was talking to some level of Russian media through translation, he is claiming that he was offered a chance to return by the UFC. And we have seen Zabit give somewhat cryptic social media posts about getting back into training and, you know, maybe teasing a comeback, but that he was offered by the UFC an immediate title shot against Alexander Volkanovsky should he return which he then turned down, Luke Thomas. This would have been wild, right? This would have been real wild. I admit, this one would have been interesting. This one would have been interesting. I still don't think he... Like, you think he beats Volk, do you? I mean, I'm not going to comment on that, Luke, out, out <laughs> loud right now. I mean, you know, we all have our favorite. No, look, I mean, there's there's some people that won't let me get off the fact that uh, that he, he, you know, was hanging on for dear life against Calvin Cater in round three, right? That, that did happen. That did happen. Yes. No, he's not going to beat Volk. But would that be a story? Would that be something interesting if Volk's next title defense was a returning Zabit after all this time off? You have to agree, Luke. I overinflate his true level of, of potential. Probably. Probably. But that guy was uniquely awesome. Be fair with me here. The guy was well, awesome. Well, I just think, I'll say this. Every once in a while, the UFC is good to just go surprise and you're like what yeah. what happened like, here what? like matt hughes versus hoist gracie that time right where you're just yes. like what the hell although is that this? was that was actually an important fight because i remember so many people at the time being like yeah but hoist beats like three guys in one night i'm like right not one of those guys would like last five seconds against hughes and they're like nah dude he's gonna win i'm like oh right the ufc is doing this to show how good the new crop of guys is so that one had like a real generational lesson learning value for yeah. the audience kind of thing at the moment the time this is just like, hey, let's just put, you know, five cats in a bag and just see what happens. Just let chaos <laughs> reign. You know what I mean? Luke, who like, laid a who laid a larger egg? Hoist Gracie in that long awaited UFC return against Matt Hughes where he got taken down onto his stomach and then just got punched until they stopped it. Or Irene Aldana against Amanda or Cyril Gone against John Jones. Okay, so it's definitely not Hoist, because you know that was that was always going to go that way, right? That that's the difference. Like that was always going to go that way. The Aldana fight didn't need to go that way, and the Gone fight, I guess it could have. I mean, here's what you have to decide: Is it worse to just get completely run over with like an offer no resistance, or is it worse to like not really ever engage and it just goes on and on and on? Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. They're both pretty bad. 
right? think the answer is Crone Gracie in his last fight. I think that's actually the answer. That's probably the answer. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's probably the yeah. answer. Uh, it would have been fun. It would have been fun, but. What, okay, well what, what, what would be the odds, Luke? If Sabine accepted this, what are the betting odds against Superman Volk here? Volk's going to be somewhere in the minus threes, right? Got to be somewhere in the minus threes. Now, oh, you asked me that question, anymore. and the I'm screen sure has frozen. So, great. Yes, yes. I love it when the screen freezes. we got to figure great. out something else other than Zoom. Technical difficulties in my life. Oh, look, there I we go. It. There we go. Okay. There we go. Yeah, we don't. We should never use Zoom again because it's destroying the show. How about that? It's destroying the show. It's not anyone else's fault. I blame Zoom, but uh, yeah, there you go. What do you think, BC? Yeah, we had a good run, Luke. Okay, maybe we should just put this child to bed already. Already. All right. Let's do. Oh, this. it's my uh, Mikey says it's my McDonald's Wi-Fi, Luke. I mean, yeah, you know. it's, that's not surprising. Mine's hardwired. Yours is just some nubs. I don't know what it is, dude. My I, Mikey and I did a test. My Wi-Fi is faster than my hardwire. Yeah, no, it's your connection. Yeah, it's you. I can see it. It's you. You got that McDonald's Wi-Fi, bro. You got that Wendy's Wi-Fi. All right, let's remind everyone. We'll probably do fan subs and dead wrong on friday there will be a show on friday i'll be live in las vegas bc will be live in his basement but we will do one just the same reminder one more time 10 a.m in the east tomorrow cbs sports net check us out a full spence crawford preview we're going to get you ready for the big fight in every way we can then of course friday show is going to be great as well for the whole combat sports weekend reminder showtime.com is the label that pays showtime.com 30-day free trial if you'd like it you can keep it if not, feel free to bounce. You can go to morningcombat.store for all of your merch needs. We appreciate it when you do. And, of course, you can go to morningcombat at gmail.com to email the show. The producers will see it. Okay? BC, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, I've had big allergies this week. Everyone thinks I'm on the Craig Jones train, Luke. I mean, seriously. like I've been having to blow my nose all week. And people are like, oh, BC, party drug BC is back. No. He, no. No, people. Why? Why, Luke? Why? But you will do whippets in the back of a Hardee's. I know well, you. Well, I have. I it was an Arby's, by the way, and I had oh, a right. Jamocha shake in the other hand. Great flavor. Great flavor, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. With that in mind, thank you to everyone who watched. We will hopefully see you tomorrow and again on Friday and then again on Saturday night with not one but two live streams for afterwards. UFC 291 results, Spence Crawford results, competing streams, but uh, fun streams just the same. All right? That's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Thank you to Mikey. Thank you to everyone in the CBS crew, Showtime, and Malka. We'll see you guys tomorrow and Friday and every other day. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.